Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. once again and uh, thank you brother albert for the way that you opened out and uh, and i'm you know it looks like summer because i'm missing some people as well as if taken some break but it's but it's good to have everybody here today this morning and uh, those who are watching online i just want to greet you i must tell you as i prepare and go through this uh, this uh, uh, spiritual warfare and looking especially at this armor of god this ministered to me in a very personal way, and it convicted me so badly as I go through this, as I even prepared for, prepared for, this, uh, for the sermon series. So I've given this title, The Dressing Up for the Battle. Dressing up for the battle, because every one of us as believers, we are in a battlefield. There is an enemy who is waiting to attack, or he is continually attacking us. That battle is inevitable for believers of Jesus Christ. So, as I mentioned, we are taking one armor at a time. And in verse 14, the passage that you heard being read and a couple of Sundays ago, we looked at the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And which it really included both the embracing the truth that is surrendering yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, and also walking truthfully, living according to it. And last Sunday, we looked at, again in verse 14, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And I told you there were two aspects to it. One is the positional aspect, which is the imputed righteousness of God. Now that's the one we talk about, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are born again. And then also uh, there's a practical aspect of, of it, and which was the imparted righteousness of God. That is to glorify the Lord by a righteous and holy living. And that's what he looked at last Sunday. Today we are going to look at the third piece of the armor, which is, the, uh, which is found in verse number 15. So I'm going to read this again. It's called the shoes of the gospel of peace or the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. So I would encourage you to open your Bibles to, to Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, and we are looking at verses 14 and 15. I'm paying attention to only verse 15. The reading goes like this. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on, I'm sorry, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. As you know that I, or I use the New King James Version. It may be slightly different from the ESV or the NIVs that you may be looking at. The NIV says it with, the, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now you know that Paul is in prison and he's talking military language here. So it'll be helpful for us if we understand the significance 
of the shoes for the Roman soldiers. So let me show you a picture of that. I want you to pay attention to the picture. The Roman soldiers had leather sandals that were strapped to the shins and to the calves. The sandals had a thick three-quarter inch leather sole, and they were equipped with something like spikes or hobnails at the bottom. These sandals, the footwear, served several purposes for the soldiers. Number one, it helped to protect their feet. The thick leather sole that they have would protect their feet from thorns and, and, uh, and traps and so on and so forth. Number two, it would also allow them a firm footing to have a good grip on the ground as they are standing. And number three, it gives them good traction as they are walking, as they are moving forward in the battlefield. So that is what the purpose of these shoes. So what is Paul telling us here through this? So Paul is telling us we as believers, we need the gospel shoes if we are to stand against our enemy, the devil. So Paul is actually using a metaphor in this passage, and he says, if you look at this, we must shod our feet. Now, what does that mean? It means that we must clothe our feet, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So you ask, Pastor, what does it mean by the preparation of the gospel of peace? What does it mean by the readiness comes from the gospel of peace? Different translation uses different terminology. So here's my approach this morning for this topic, is we need to know firstly, what is the gospel of peace? It's good for us to understand what is the gospel of peace. Secondly, for us to understand how do we put on this gospel of peace. So I hope you are with me so far. What is the gospel of peace? And then how do we put on the gospel of peace? And I would like the scripture to validate the scripture. So whatever I want to say today, I want it to be validated by the scripture. And we, let's see what life applications we can take from this. So the first question is, what is the gospel of peace? What is the gospel of peace? So the word gospel means the good news or glad tidings. We all know what the gospel means. It is the good news of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul very beautifully explains this to the saints in Corinth. Look at this passage here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you what? The gospel. Are you with me so far? I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Verse number 2, by which what? The gospel. Also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is what he says in verse 1 and 2. And look at what he says in verse 3 and 4. Now he expands what this gospel is all about. Look at that. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. What? The gospel. Now Paul explains what that gospel is. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news of God's saving work 
through the death, the burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. So God is actually making an offer that He will save all who will trust Him in His crucified and risen Son. So let me stop here, church, for a moment. Let us ask a very practical question. How many of you seated here? How many of you watching online? How many of you know the gospel? How many of you know the gospel? How many of you, knowing the gospel is one thing, how many of you can articulate the gospel to someone else? It's one thing to know the gospel. It's another thing to articulate that to someone else. If we really want to be equipped and fight this battle against the devil, we need to not only know that, the gospel, we should be able to articulate that. Believe it or not, in my ordination interviews and, and, and processes, the very first thing that they asked me, and they asked every candidate, can you share what the gospel is? I'm thinking, you know, what kind of question that you're asking from a pastor? Don't I know it? I found it very difficult to present it in a very simple form. Here's the exercise, guys. Go home. Please, try this. And talk to your child or your parent or your partner. Or, and see if you can explain what gospel is in a very simplified form. We do have gospel tracks, and if you're interested, I'll gladly get you one. That, that will not do. You should be able to articulate that. Here's what, what Piper says about gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And Piper says, that's the gospel. I'm sure that if I ask you to say the gospel, you'll say it differently. You may not use the same terminology. You know, it's funny enough, my, my, my son is teaching my grandson the gospel. So I, I told him, I said, he keeps saying this is the gospel. I said, tell me what the, how, you are, how are you teaching them. This is what he says. God created me, so a little one will try to mimic it. God created me, I sinned, Jesus died, I live. That's the gospel. Now, please, don't memorize that. But I came across this. It's called the gospel song. Look at this. Holy God, in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross he took my sin. By his death, I live again. That's the gospel. It's very simple. Church, for us to clothe ourselves, our feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we should know the gospel. That's the very first thing. But secondly, but when you look at this particular passage, let's go back to the passage now. He is not talking about the gospel, he's talking about the gospel of peace. In, in this particular text, Paul says, having shot or clothed or wear or protection your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So he calls it the gospel of peace because the gospel brings peace to us. The gospel brings peace to us in several aspects. 
If we don't understand that, we are not going to understand how to wear it. So you ask the question, Pastor, what are the different aspects of the gospel of peace? Let me give you the first one. The first one is, it brings peace with God. When you talk about gospel of peace, it brings peace with God. As pious and holy that we may appear today, every one of us, we all would admit that we were enemies of God. We were the adversaries of God. We were in hostility to God. We rebelled against Him. We were under the wrath of God, every one of us. But the gospel tells us that God comes to His enemies in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, and He freely offers to save all of us who will trust Him and who will come to Him. And we, every one of us who are saved, we have gone through that experience. That church gives us peace with God. How do I say that? Let's look at another passage of Scripture here. Therefore, Paul writes to the saints in Rome, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified simply means that you have received the gift of salvation. When you receive that, what do you have? You have peace with God. That's why I said one aspect of this gospel of peace is having peace with God. It means that this objective hostility that stands between us and God is removed and is taken away and we are no longer considered as enemies of God. We are welcomed as friends and adopted as children into the family of God. Church, this peace means, with God means, conscience are clear. The overwhelming weight of guilt that plagued us all is gone. It's placed on Jesus on the cross. Jesus, God is inviting us, come boldly before the throne of grace. So if you are a believer... Maintaining a sense of peace with God simply means you keep our ongoing sins and failures confessed. You will never cling on to a sin for a period of time without that being addressed and confessed. Confession and seeking forgiveness is part of a believer's nature. So if you are a truly a born-again believer, you will live in an ongoing attitude of repentance so that no sin will take root to defile you again. You know, I'm sure that every one of you would admit this. Let's say there is a sin that is not being addressed in your own life. Can you walk joyfully? You can't. You might pretend to, be, to show everybody everything is fine, but if there is something that is not being addressed and they not put right with God, that's going to weigh you down. It's going to steal the joy from you. The joy you have in confession is priceless, church. Because confession brings so much peace. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Growing up, my greatest joy is is after making a lot of blunders and mistakes in the house or, or sinning, to go to my dad and make a confession and to say, Daddy, I'm sorry for what I've done. And for him to, you know, sometimes you get rebuked, sometimes you get, you get a whack, but that's okay 
But then at the end of it, when he hugs you and gives you a kiss, that is priceless. Why? Because I have a relationship with my father. I am peace with God. So I wonder this morning if you have experienced that. Do you know that you are at peace with God? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? So church, before we go further, if there anyone has not trusted in Jesus Christ, you can do it this morning. You can receive it this morning. And when you are reconciled, you will have the peace with God. So we are talking about the aspects of the gospel of peace. The first one is the peace with God. The second one in, is this subjective internal peace. Now please come along with me carefully. Now as every believer in his or her life and can experience this, this is what is called the peace of God. Not peace with God, but it's peace of God. It's slightly different, and let me explain this to you from a passage of Scripture here we find. Be anxious for nothing, Paul writes to the saints in Philippi, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses, he's defining or qualifying what that peace of God means. It's not peace with God. Because this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about prayer here. Don't be anxious. And then he says this peace of God, it will come to you, which surpasses human understanding. So hear me out, church. It is possible for you to have peace with God, but not enjoying the peace of God. Let me repeat that. It is possible for you to ha have the peace with God, meaning that you may be a saved believer, but still not enjoying the peace of God. There's something, for, there's something that we need to do in order to enjoy the peace of God. We have to put on the gospel armor for us to enjoy the peace of God in our hearts, in our minds, in all circumstances. That gospel will help us. Look at this passage, and we're going to sing this beautiful song later on. The Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace. Who are the recipients of that? Whose mind is stayed on you, but because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace. That is the peace of God that you will receive when, you, when your mind is stayed on him and because you trust in him. So let me ask you, do you know the peace of God in all your circumstances? Church, I'm not asking, are your circumstances peaceful? That's not what I'm asking because I know as a pastor that many of you are going through storms in your own life. You are going through, there are, there are storms of health and storms of finances, storms of family relationships, and the list can go on. I know there are all kinds of circumstances that befall us and beset us in this world. We have trials, we have tribulations, we have suffering, we have afflictions, and, the, and the, our peace is gone. But it is possible in the midst of all this storm that we can have perfect peace and tranquility. That is peace of God. That is peace of God. That is why David was able to say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Church, pause for a moment and reflect. 
You go for a blood test and doctor says, I need to see you tomorrow. How do you feel? Your peace is gone. You are completely disturbed. You call every Tom, Dick and Harry to pray for you. You are on your knees all night, crying out, God, what is the doctor going to tell me tomorrow? But here he says, during that time, as we look to him, as we bring our petitions with thanksgiving in our hearts, we will receive the peace of God. And how is it defined? It is something that you cannot understand. How can you have this peace at this time? But that peace comes from him. It's beyond human understanding. We just sang a beautiful song. I know that most of you may know it. For those who don't know it, let me tell you. The writer is Horatio Spafford. He was a great businessman. He had lots of money, just like me. He had tons of money. And he lost almost everything in a Chicago fire. And I think it must have been in the 19th century, something like that. And he wanted to go to England. So he sent his family first. And there was a terrible storm, and that ship was sunk. And as a result of that, all his four daughters died. Only the wife survived. It's a true story. It's a true event. And the wife went ashore to England, and she sent a telegram back. Saved alone. Imagine you are the father on this side. Send four children out. And you want to hear, and they say, saved alone. So he gets on to another ship. He wants to go and visit his, 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 his wife. And as the ship was sailing, came to the point where this mishap took place. And the captain said, this is where the previous ship went down. And he came outside. And that's when he wrote this song. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Church, how can you say it is well, it is well with my soul? Why? Because he had the peace of Beyond human understanding. That's how Paul is writing. You, when you bring your petitions with thanksgiving in your heart, you will receive the peace of God, which surpasseth human understanding. That's the peace of God. So we are looking at the different aspects of the gospel of peace. We first, we looked at the peace with God, and the second one is the peace of God. And the third one is, the third dimension of this aspect is the eternal peace. Let me look at this passage of scripture here. We find this about the future reconciliation. There's going to come a time when everything is going to be peaceful. Eternal peace. And we studied that when we went through the book of Colossians. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. We, have, we haven't seen that yet, but there is coming a day when all sorrow and suffering and sin and wickedness and evil will be banished once and for all from the face of this earth. Where the earth will be covered with the glory of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. Where all things will be in perfect submission and the lordship of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It is the ultimate, final, cosmic, eternal peace and reconciliation for which we wait. That's part of our hope as believers. Now let me pause and ask you a question. As you go through trials of life, let's say the doctor is calling you to come tomorrow, and you go to the doctor and the doctor said, you know what, your blood results are perfect. Now what do you do? You celebrate. Why? Because you know the end of the story. But pause for a moment. You have not gone to the doctor yet. You don't know what the end of the story is going to be. You are traumatized by the thought. Yes or no? When you know the end of the story, you have peace. When you don't know the end of the story, you are traumatized. When you talk about eternal peace, the third aspect of the peace that we are talking about here, we know the end of the story for the believers. We'll be in eternal peace with God. And it makes life the trials of life easy to pace. The, the pain of lost hopes and dreams make all that pale into insignificance, knowing there is peace awaiting for the believers. That is why, church, now in the book of Acts, I know we'll be studying that. Now, now Paul, was, Paul was trying here, sorry, in, in the book of Romans, Paul says that, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. How can Paul say that? He's going through very hardship. And he said, comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, this is nothing. You know the struggles that Paul went through. How could he say that? You know, the enemy is right in front. And, and, and in Romans chapter 8, verses 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The enemy is right in your face and Paul has the audacity and the courage and the confidence to say that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The enemy is at the door. Enemy is looking into your eyes with the weapons and ready to attack. Paul is saying we are conquerors. And see what he says after that. Verse number 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor the angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was able to say that. Why? Because he knows the eternal peace, the ultimate peace. He knows the temporal nature of this life. So, church, we have been looking at the gospel of peace. What does that really mean? And, and we get, get peace in every dimension and look at three aspects of it. Peace with God, we are made right with Him. That's when you have the peace with God. Peace of God, that is when you go through the struggles and challenges of life. Let me see. Yeah, I have it here. Yeah, perfect. So, peace with God, that I spoke about. And then the... Oops. 
went a bit fast. Peace of God, that is we go through storms of life and are victoriously, joyfully, we can face it. And finally is the eternal or ultimate peace, the peace that is in place for eternity. So this is the gospel of peace. So the second question that Paul is asking here, or we should ask is that, how do we put on this gospel of peace? Now we know what gospel of peace is, three components to that. How do we put on? Let me just quickly walk through three quick applications. I think I have it on a slide. I'm going to show it to you first, and then I'll walk you through that. Okay. I'm sorry, just bear with me. Okay, there we go. Oops. Okay, there we go. Oops, sorry about that. I'm sorry, I'm playing around with this. Okay, bear with me. There are three applications how you can put this on. Number one is that you must be shaped by the gospel. Every one of you must be shaped by the gospel. The gospel must shape your mind, your heart, your imagination, your values, your motives. Let it shape everything about you so that you begin to take on the shape of the gospel in your heart. So you ask the question, Pastor, how do I know that I'm shaped by the gospel? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Yes, Pastor, I'm a believer, but how do I know that I'm shaped by the gospel? So my job here is to put a mirror in front of you and me. So that we can look at it and say, have I been shaped by the gospel? So very quickly, just some very quick items for us to look at. You will have a new awareness of sin. You will have new awareness of sin. Look at verse, this one here. If we say that we have fellowship with him, again, shaped by the gospel, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Church, an unsaved man is not concerned about the sin. You may have regrets. Oops, I shouldn't have done this. Why? Because of the consequences. That's why you have regrets. You, are, you don't have regrets because you have offended God. You, are, you have regrets because the consequences are not your pleasing. That's why you're upset if you're an unsaved man. But you still continue to uh, go on the pursuit of your desires. You justify yourself and you will sometimes redefine what sin is to suit you. But not the person who is shaped by the gospel. If you are shaped by the gospel, you have the ever-heightened sense of his own sin. He exhibits a growing awareness of his sinful flesh. Because God exposes our weaknesses, our failures, our lustful desires and old habits that are, that are not pleasing to him. When you have a regenerated heart, it's continually humbled and, and, and contrite and you hate all things sinful and we only desire the fellowship of God. Can that be said about you today? Are you quick to repent? Are you quick to address your sinful behavior? Or do you hold on to that because pride doesn't let you? Shame on you, shame on me if we are clinging on to our pride, church. Because one day, we have to answer. So if you are shaped by the gospel, you will have 
new awareness of your sin. Number two, if you are shaped by the gospel, what you will have, son, I need your help. Great, thank you. A new desire. Is that true of yourself, a new desire? What do I mean by desire, you might ask? Let's examine a passage here. Again, taken from 1 John chapter 2. Now by this we know that we who know Him, meaning we who are shaped by the gospel, that's what it means. If we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. So the unsaved man resists the commands of God. But the saved man desires to please Him. Once you come to know the Lord, your desire is to please Him. You have a new desire. If you are shaped by the gospel, you have a new desire. Your new desire is to obey God's commands. You have been prompted by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because you know that God's plans are good for me, even though I don't understand it. Even though it doesn't fall within the frame of mind that I have. Church, my favorite scripture is Psalm 25.10. Why do I say that? It says, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those to keep the demands of the covenant. All the ways of the Lord are not the ways that I want. All the ways of the Lord are His ways that are loving and faithful to whom? To those who keep the demands of the covenant. So if you want something good to happen to you, you better have your new desire and allow God's will to come to pass because His ways are loving and faithful. Because if you are a person who has a new desire, your boundaries will be, will, be, will be set by the Scriptures because you want to honor God. Your behavior is governed by the Scriptures. You enjoy the freedom to experience what God desires in you. You look at life through the lenses of the Gospel. That's what you do. And you ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And you can easily spot the deception of the devil and you can avoid it. That's how you overcome that. So if you are shaped by the gospel, you have a new desire. Thirdly, if you, if you, are, if you are shaped by the gospel, you will have new love. Why am I saying new love? Pastor, I do love my wife. I love myself. I love my car. I love my house. I love my kids. Why do you say you love? That's not the love I am talking about here, church. That's not the love comes from the one who is shaped by the gospel. Look at what the love we are talking about here in, in John chapter 1, verse number 2. He who says he's in the light, that is you are shaped by the gospel, and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So what does that mean? Your love is unconditional, it's genuine. You love brothers and sisters, you tolerate everybody, you love your neighbor, you love your enemies, you pray for them, you are quick to forgive and you are quick to ask for forgiveness. Your love would cover a multitude of sins. That is what the Bible says, isn't it? If you really love. That's the new love we are talking about if you are shaped by the gospel. Satan has no room to enter if you can exercise that love. Fourthly, as you are shaped by the gospel, we have to do something about this, son. Okay, oops, 
I've gone too fast. A new purpose. You'll have a new purpose. What is the purpose of your life? Let me ask you. If I ask the young people, we have Kumar Sangakara here, by the name He's a cricketer from Sri Lanka. He's here. I want you guys to meet him. Good to see you, son. I love you. Good to see you here. You know, the, the purpose of our life, if I ask the young people, we want to get married, we want to get a good job, get a good spouse, and I want to rise up in the corporate ladder, make as much money as possible, I want to invest in real estate, and the list can go on. Nothing wrong in having those desires. And how many of these items, let me ask you, you're going to take with you when the Lord calls you home? Nothing. Look at this passage of Scripture here. And now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. When he appears, not if he appears, he's going to appear. And that you are not ashamed when you see him. That's what the Bible says. The unsaved man is not concerned about life after death. He is always worried about the, the temporal, about today and how, what can I do? How can I expand my business? How can I do this, that and the other so that I can enjoy my life here on earth? For him, it's all about now and here. The unseen things of the spiritual things are, are foolishness to him. Are you one of them? But if you are shaped by the gospel, for a believer, it is the spiritual world that is the most real thing. We understand this physical world is temporary and one day will pass away. That the eternal spiritual things are the reality of life. So in light of eternity, everything will pale into insignificance. So you will ask the question, church, whatever that I'm doing in light of eternity, how is it going to help? How is it going to bring glory to, me, glory to God? And when you look at things from eternity perspective, most of your struggles will pale into insignificance. Most of your struggles. Because most of the struggles you are facing is out of selfish motives. You have wrong purposes. So we looked at four things here, church, about how to put on the gospel of peace. Yes, a new awareness of sin, that is you're having short accounts with God if you're truly shaped by, shaped by the gospel. A new desire to obey, looking through the lens of the gospel, what would Jesus do? A new love, that covers multitude of sins, praying for your enemies, a new purpose, living from eternity perspective. So we looked at, if you are equipped to, to, to stand firm during the enemy attack, how to put on the shoes is what you are looking at. The first thing I said was you had to be shaped by the gospel. And the second thing, we should be able to suffer for Christ. To suffer for Christ. You know, the gospel gives us the assurance that we have peace with God. Then we know that no tribulation, no trial, no affliction, no persecution, no pain, no sickness, nothing can befall us, can ultimately hurt us because we are peace with God. In the book of Acts chapter 21, Paul is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and the prophets in Jerusalem, hear me out, they are stopping him. 
If you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be bound in chains and handed over to the Gentiles. Please don't go. We don't want you to be arrested. You don't want they, they, they to put you in prison. Here's the response of Paul. Look at this. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because what Paul is saying is, God is for me, who can be against me? You are ready to suffer for the gospel. If God is on your side, that none of the trials that you face in life can ultimately hurt you or harm you. There's a beautiful psalm in Psalm 112. I would like you to read it when you go home. It's about the man who fears the Lord. And here's the verse number 7. It says this. The men who fear the Lord, they say, they aren't afraid when bad news comes. They are not afraid. Who? The men who fear the Lord. The men who are shaped by the gospel. Because they trust. They stand firm because they trust in the Lord. Does that describe of you? Not afraid of bad news. Come rain or shine. Come riches or poverty. Prosperity or adversity. Not afraid. Because my heart is firmly trust. So, we looked at two things shaped by the gospel. And the last thing, very final one, please. Bear with me. Son, we had to do something about this. Okay. Be willing to suffer for the gospel. And here's the third and the final thing. We must be ready to share the gospel. Not only to be shaped, not only to suffer, but to be able to share the gospel. That is what it means by putting on the gospel of peace. 1 Peter 1, this is what he says. And do not be afraid of their heart threats and nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to make a defense. That is to give the reason for this hope that you have. That's a readiness to share the gospel. I'm sure when Apostle Paul wrote this uh, Ephesians 6, he must have referred to the, to the Isaiah passage where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, in Romans chapter 10, this is what Paul writes. Listen carefully. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then they will call on the name in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless... They are sent. And then he concludes this way. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. To share the gospel. To share our faith. As we share the gospel, we are claiming the enemy-occupied land. That's what they're doing. That's why missions are important, church. By the way, I thank everyone who came yesterday and supported that. That's why missions are, that's why reaching out to the lost here is very important for us. Because when we claim the, when we proclaim the gospel, we are claiming the enemy territory. Because we are in the offensive, we are diminishing the powers of the darkness that the evil, evil one can bring about. The Lord is pleading with us, whom shall I send? And Paul is saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Are you sharing the gospel. So in conclusion, church, we said, what is the gospel? I said three things. is peace with God. 
peace of God and eternal and ultimate peace. Peace with God comes when you have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Peace of God comes when you put on the gospel into your life and you're surrendering to God. Bring your petitions with thanksgiving in your heart. He will give you the peace of God in every situation. So please, church, when you, even when you're when you greeting somebody, may, may the, the smile radiate. May the fragrance of Jesus emit from us. Don't come to church. Oh, my goodness, you don't know, Pastor, what I'm going through. That means you don't have the peace of God. And then the third thing about the gospel of peace is the eternal and the ultimate peace. And then we looked at how, how do you put it on? We said three things. Be shaped by the gospel. There's a new awareness of sin. That is, you have short accounts with God. There's a new desire, looking through the lenses of the gospel. What would Jesus do? And there's new love, which will cover the multitude of sin. You have no enemies. You are not holding grudges with anybody. And there's a new purpose in life. That is, living from eternity's perspective. Secondly, you are willing to suffer for the gospel. And thirdly, you are willing to share the gospel.